0: Well, I don't often segue between songs and sermons with a b- appreciation for our team, but I just so, I'm so grateful for Alex and Atia and of course Lauren and the whole team and these guys they they they, they give time devoted and energy dedicated and talent delivered uh, ultimately to the altar of God and to the to the blessing of his people. And I'm so appreciative of them. Aren't you guys? And they, there's a, the band we yeah, we put them we, you won't clap for the sermon today, but, so that's good. But uh, we put the band behind this little modest wall, but even though they're behind the wall, they are out front to me. I just love these guys and appreciate them. And y'all, well, I want to have you all over to the house again sometime and hang out and eat food on me. Hey, scientists and climatologists, meteorologists, tell us, as if 2020 needs any more doom and gloom, it tells us that uh, 2020, we'll look at it here, 2020 is... On, it, on the course of becoming the warmest year in modern recorded history. The second, uh, if, if, it, if it goes away we think, then the second warmest year in modern recorded history would be back four years ago in 2016 those of you who know me know that I'm really good at taking scientific data and interpreting it for the masses so here's what that means both of these are presidential election years so in presidential election years we blow a bunch of hot air <laughs> this was not uh, last week uh, some of you gave some props probably because you felt bad for me you came to see the train wreck last week I, I watched you watch me but you gave us some love for uh, having the courage to speak on politics in this time. But it wasn't the first time we've done that. In fact, in this year, 2016, we did a standalone sermon. I don't know if anybody uh, will remember this. It wasn't recorded. Apparently, we had the wrong people on the bus back then, but they're having trouble recording sermons. But we didn't get it recorded. But we, we did a standalone sermon called God and Government and How We Get It Wrong. And I remember when I was preaching that standalone sermon at Fondren, I had a friend a few states over who was preaching a sermon, and he told me that the day that he did a sermon similar to that, that they sang a hymn, Lauren. They sang, uh, It Is Well With My Soul. Isn't that one of the great ones? And if you know, I mean, if you know the song, you know it's great. If you know the deep, profound pain behind the song, you just, you do cartwheels. It's so rich. It is well with my soul. And in that song, it says, and the trumpet will sound and the Lord will appear or something like that. Well, it, apparently at this church, they sang when the Trump will sound and the Lord will appear. And someone came after my pastor friend saying, why didn't you, why didn't, why did we sing Trump and not trumpet as if they were making a political endorsement? So y'all ease up. Don't be so sensitive today. Don't read into anything. Okay. That you hear today. Listen, time magazine uh, described our culture uh, this way. This week or last week, they said that the polarization is so intense, that the division is so extreme, that the media is so unavoidable, that our collective anxiety is at an all time stratospheric high. So, today, I want you to memorize a Bible verse. You say, preacher, I don't memorize Bible verses. I don't have the mind to. Yes, you do. Here's that Bible verse, and it comes to us from Hebrews 12, 14. And as you leave today, I want you to have it down. If you need to, write it down on a note card. Take it with you. And I, as your pastor, if I am your pastor, uh, maybe I'm just someone you're watching today on TV. But I hope that you could memorize this. And in the midst of intense polarization. In the midst of deep political division and high anxiety, I would hope that you could leave some allotment, some allocation, some room for the reality of this passage. Look, I need it too. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, strive for peace with everyone and for, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Both parts, A and B, are so important. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. There's an everyone, and there's a no one. And both have great value. Hebrews, we don't know for sure who wrote it. One of the things I love about Hebrews, maybe some of you have heard me preach this or something similar to it, it's got some divine invitations for a deeper spiritual life in it. And these divine invitations, about 14 of them in the book of Hebrews, Start with the two words, let us. Let us be diligent. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us hold unswervingly. Let us provoke one another to love and good deeds. Let us not stop assembling ourselves. Let us... Over and over, it invites us to let us, Hebrews 12, the chapter that this is in, Hebrews 12, the first part of it, uh, verse 1, let us lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us. Right after that, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews 12, 28, let us be grateful. Uh, Hebrews 13, 15, let us offer the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that give praise to his name. Let us. These phrases give us divine invitations to a deeper spiritual life. What's the first part of that verse that we're memorizing today, Hebrews 12, 14? Strive for peace with everyone. No asterisks or footnotes, no legal loopholes for you or I to get out of. Strive for peace with everyone. Last week, I shared with you eight myths in this series that we are calling, How to Talk About Politics Without Being Obnoxious, we busted eight myths. Today, I want to present to you seven, what I hope are divine invitations. I'm, I'm mindful of the room. I want to honor you by honoring our time, and we're going to roll th- through this pretty fast. Here's the first in- invitation that I want to give you. The first one is this, and this will help you. As these crystallize, as these become a part of your life, I think it'll help you. Talk about politics without being so obnoxious. How many of you are obnoxious when you talk about politics? Yep. How many of you are sitting by someone when you're. I like, by the way, self awareness. We actually had a few hands that were raised. Here's the first one, the first invitation. Let us learn the true test of love is how we treat those we disagree with. I saw a college student snapping her finger. Go ahead, clap, snap if you want to. Man, I hope it could be a part of our life. The true test of love. Isn't it easy? Jesus cut to the heart of this. It's easy to love people you're networking with. It's easy to walk in a room and you see some luminaries and dignitaries. They're VIPs. It's easy to love them. They can open a door. They can usher you into your next job or promotion. You see possibilities and potential. You see someone. It's easy to love people who can do something for you. Jesus would say in his own words, hey, anybody can do that. An invitation for us today. Let us learn the true test of love is how we treat those we disagree with. I can't think of a more important time to either remind you or instruct you for the very first time. Listen to me. There was political diversity among Jesus' closest followers. One more time. There was political diversity among Jesus' closest followers. Followers, not fringe people. You can't do much about fringe people, can you? Not people on the outskirts, not people on the peripheral, but people at the center, at the core. There was political, one more time, there was political diversity among Jesus' closest followers. Simon was a zealot. Matthew was a tax collector. Can you say opposing sides? Simon was a zealot. The zealots wanted to overthrow the government. The tax collectors were the government. One more time, can you say opposing sides? Stay with me. You need to hear this today. Jesus, there's no evidence to suggest, okay, so I think silence speaks volumes here, but there's no evidence to suggest that Jesus spent much or any time trying to get opposing sides to switch sides, and I wonder how much time you spend trying to persuade the opposing side to switch sides. Jesus loved. Jesus's closest followers, followers represented political diversity. This makes me feel good. I think y'all are falling asleep. This makes me feel good. I'll tell you why. I've judged myself. I've condemned myself. Y'all ever judge yourself? You ever condemn yourself? You got those voices going on in your head like I got them and I'm a pastor so I know y'all got them. I hear these voices and here's here's what I've walked through over the last several months, I've observed that within my own family, there's some political diversity. I got three kids and the three kids, two of them can vote and all three of them are talking about it. And there's a little bit of drive. I thought I failed as a father. After the debates, I heard that two of our staff had a debate about the debate up on the third floor. I wasn't here for it. Apparently they, we could have sold tickets but it was a debate about the debate on I don't want to sound too powerful here or Like I'm trying to sound, but on my staff team Okay, I'm personalizing this But on my staff team, there are, there's a diversity of political viewpoints I don't, I'm looking at Jesus this morning I'm just preaching to me, y'all just listen for a second But in, in my family and on my staff team There's a little bit of political diversity That's okay, And I don't need, as a follower of Jesus, to waste a lot of time, if any time, trying to convince opposing sides to switch sides. Which I guess you would be right back at the, yeah anyway. But Jesus never did that, and I don't have to do that. In fact, I wonder if we can't even celebrate that. Because Christ-like love is greater than any political ideology or persuasion. So the first invitation right there, let us learn the true test of love, is how we treat those we disagree with. Stop for a second. How are you doing there? How are you doing? Second invitation is the following. Let us treat people like people God loves and not voting blocks. Let's talk about how God loves us. Here's what he says. Here's what Dr. Luke said in Chapter 12 and verse 7. The physician who was warming up to the great physician. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered, but don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Here's how the psalmist put it in Psalm 56 and verse 8. My grandmother would have been 102 this week. She's with Jesus now. She has a thought about this verse Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? My grandmother envisions that when you get to heaven, at some point, there will be a bottle of your tears. Because God knows them all. And yeah, he's wiped them away. But just one little final record of what the psalmist said in his pain and in his lament that's god's love for you the very look he loves me so much i don't even care i can stand up here and say that he's got the very hairs of my head numbered look he loves me more than most of y'all all All right can we hear some bald people in the house show your pride all right yes he's got the very hairs of our hair numbered he's got the tears that we have cried and you know what we got a lot more to come don't we we got a lot more tears to cry He's got it recorded. That's how much, that's how much he loves us. We are in a period of time. Polarization is intense. Division, it's crazy. It's extreme. Anxiety, stratospheric highs. And it's easy in this time. With the media being so unavoidable, to think of people in tribes, to think of people, even though 1 Samuel 16, 7 tells us not to look at the outward appearance of man, but on the heart. As O K said, not to judge people by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. But in election years, that's what we do. Some of this is good and unavoidable, but we tend to think of ourselves, well, this person is an Asian woman millennial. This person is a black male who's a Democrat. This guy is a white evangelical pastor. This person is. This person is. Look, that might be a part of who you are, but it's not who you are. And what we do with that, none of us have taken a census, but what we do with that is we begin to label people, and the people we label are the people God loves. And hear me. We tend to, when we start putting people with these labels and categories, we think, well, that's who they are, okay? And that's their people. And this is how those people think. This is how those people vote. And we clump together and we forget the people that we label are the people that God loves. Let us treat people as people that God loves, not as a voting block. The third invitation that I give you this morning. Let us not share any political views without genuine love. Contrast these two words with the last two words. Political views. Look, you got them. I got them. I'm glad you got them. I'm glad I got them. I hope you're glad I got them, even though I shroud mine more than some of you. Let us not share any political views without genuine love. Though I quote it at many weddings that I preside over, that's not a bad thing. First Corinthians 13, we've taught you you know this. Some of you don't know this. It's not a love chapter for husband and wife. It certainly can be. It's a love chapter for slaves and free, for Jews and Greeks, for rich and poor, for men and women, for a diverse church of Jesus' followers. In the first century. First Corinthians 13:1 says this. If I speak in the tongues. Of men or of angels. But do not have love. I am only a resounding gong. Or a clanging cymbal. So for a moment. Let me illustrate. What Paul said. Long ago. Do you share. Your political viewpoints. Without genuine love when you do here's how you sound not y'all here at 9 30 but those of you watching home here's how you sound here's my opinion donald trump here's my opinion on joe biden here's my opinion on immigration here's my opinion on health care here's my opinion about black lives matter here's my opinion about police brutality here's my opinion about fracking I've always wanted to say fracking and bang a cymbal in church. Fracking. Fracking. That's how we sound. That's how we sound when we share a political viewpoint without genuine love. There is a medium that many of us spend hours a week on. Isn't it Sunday the day that most iPhones tell you your screen time? It's church time. Church time. All right, worship team, is this right? Y'all keep each other accountable. All right, y'all get y'all get here early. All right, worship team, look at your look at each other. Get nosy with each other. Y'all love each other. Get nosy with each other and look at your screen time. I want to brag in front of people. You shouldn't brag. Pride comes before the fall. But I looked at my screen time this week. It was down forty something percent. That's what i'm talking about and can I tell you i'm 40 something percent happier this week than I was last week And it look there's a whole median where genuine love. It's really hard It's really hard to show genuine love where most of us spend most of our time And then I won't do it again Fracking, but this is how we sound. This is how you sound Another invitation I want to give you Is the following well, I want to share that in the spirit of First 1 Corinthians 13.1. Back to it. When we have truth without love, it equals noise. Truth, if we can get there, truth minus love equals noise. Anybody remember Ephesians four fifteen? Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Don't just throw the truth. That's a hammer. Don't just throw the, throw the love. That's a warm sentiment. But truth minus love equals noise. We can talk about love minus truth. That's another sermon. But truth minus love equals the clanging cymbal, the resounding gong. Y'all need to get that out of my way. All right, another invitation. Here we are. Let us not die on hills that don't matter. Now, this gets really crazy during election years. When the polarization, when the demonization... When the division goes high, when the anxiety goes up to stratospheric highs, this becomes very difficult to do. Let me show you a diagram to illustrate my heart on this in leadership. It's it's always been behind the scene. Um, It's in some ways kind of like underwear. You need it, but you don't want people to see it. This is, um, there's a bullseye here. There's a bullseye and the bullseye I'm calling what we will die for. And then what we will defend is outside of that. And then what we'll discuss. And the most important thing of the target, any target, right? Some of y'all have been going to that axe place and throwing, right? Throwing axes. You, 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 want, that, you want that bullseye. And the bullseye for followers of Jesus, the bullseye specifically for Fondering Church under our leadership here is clarifying what will we die for. And in some ways, I want every time you walk in the room, even though we don't say it directly per se verbatim, I want you to know that that we believe there is a God and He created you. We believe there is a book called the Bible and it is the inspired Word of God. We believe that there was a man who came as God, God incarnate, Emmanuel, and dwelled among us. And Jesus Christ is the way to salvation. We believe that God created everybody in His image, and we are to love everyone. There, these are some hills that will die for some values. And so that means, look, and some of you, here's a mistake we're making today. I see it every day in our culture. Some of us as American Christians, because we want to fight a culture war, we are seeing a loss of privilege as persecution. Look at me. It's not. It is not. Travel the world. Hook up with us when we can go globally again. And come to us as we travel the world and look at some realities. You can also, the earth is flat, right? Get on the internet. Look, it is, not, it is a loss of privilege. And I'm sorry, it hurts, doesn't it? It hurts to lose our privilege. But it ain't persecution. What will we die for? There are some things that we'll defend. It's important. We need to clarify. Where does the church stand? What do you believe? What are you preaching? What will happen if I become a member? How will I connect here? These are important things, and we will defend them, but we don't die for them. And there are some things, man, that's all we do is discuss. Anybody, Any of y'all ever had coffee with me, and you're really riled up about something? And I'm like with you, but I'm not like riled up like you're riled up. Anybody ever experienced that from me? Like, I I just want to listen to you because I love you sometimes. But, man, we're just discussing something, and I'm not going to die for it. So if you want to leave account of it, you know, it's, it's just not. I'll discuss it with you. But it doesn't inflame a passion to defend it. And it's certainly not something that we would die for. But in a political year, here's what happens. Here's why some pastors are quitting. By the way, I'm encouraged. Thank you. All. I love y'all. But here's why some pastors are quitting. Because in a political year, among all the things that we're dealing with in 2020, is that there's some political ideologies and platforms that people think that we should die for. And I'm just telling you, No. No. A shepherd needs to guard the flock, and I want to guard the flock for us. But let me say this, okay? Now, a loss of privilege is not persecution. But if it comes there, this is what I'm talking about. Let me be clear. If the federal government, local, state authorities come here and tell us not to preach something that's in the Bible, that's worth dying for. And we will take a stand because it is center and it's core. Jesus Christ is the way to salvation. The Bible is the inspired word of God. God created everybody in his image. We will die for a few things. We'll take a strong stand if persecution ever comes. Another invitation that I give you. Let us not obsess over culture wars, but rather the kingdom of God. After Jesus was baptized, we did that a couple of weeks ago, but after Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, you know, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. The voice of the father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And right after that, it wasn't peaches and cream right after that, he was led by the spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted. And one of those temptations, the final and third temptation, it says this in Matthew four, eight, I believe again that's again because there were two previous temptations the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor power you can rule over you can get elected into office you can rule over other people you can impose your view and your will and have your way but jesus said no Jesus said, no, there is another way. And at the end of his life, in the middle of an election before Pilate, if you will, when there was a choice between Jesus and Barabbas, it says this. Jesus says this in John chapter 18 and verse 36, another kingdom verse. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. I don't need the splendor with all of its bling. If it were, if this kingdom was, if my kingdom was of this world... My servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Don't go to politics to have your inner needs met. Live for a different kingdom. Y'all, there's no verse that says fight a culture war. By the way, we lost. There's no verse that says fight a culture war. But there are hundreds that talk about being a part of the kingdom of God. That we are to seek first. So how much are you tempted by the bling, by the splendor of the kingdoms of this world? Jesus chose not political power look I wish Jesus was in charge wouldn't it be cool if Jesus was in charge of Syria a couple years ago when I was at the holy I stepped over into Syria and there were soldiers and I was across the line and my wife and my friends like get back in the van I ran back wouldn't it be cool if Jesus ruled over Syria if Jesus ruled over North Korea If Jesus ruled over Canada, here's a good one. What if Jesus ruled over the United States of America? What if Jesus himself was on the ballot in a few days? That would be cool. What if Jesus led the CDC? What if Jesus was at the DMV? He's not, by the way. What if Jesus was king over every kingdom? Augustine put it this way, there's a kingdom called the city of man and there's a kingdom called the city of God. Which one will we live for? Which one will we put our hope in? Two more before we close. Let us see justice as biblical, not political. Some of us erroneously think that when 2020 yields to 2021, some things are going to be over. Can I tell you what's not going to be over? The cry for justice. A cry that I want you to listen to for a few minutes with fresh ears. Okay? Here's a picture of a 14-year-old kid from Chicago. Excuse me. A 14-year-old kid from Chicago who one day in 1955, his mama took him to a train station to get on a train to travel to Mississippi to visit cousins. One day, a 14-year-old man, young man, boy, named Emmett Till, walked into a grocery store, and the checker at the grocery store, the checker at the grocery store was the wife of the owner of the grocery store. And this fourteen-year-old boy, visiting cousins way down here in the Sip, was accused of by Carolyn Bryant of flirting with her. Carolyn Bryant's husband, Roy Bryant, and a close friend, J. W. Milam, kidnapped Emmett Till and took him into the cotton fields deep inside a barn. And while some black sharecroppers heard what was happening inside, they tortured him with implements that I shouldn't even talk about and won't talk about in church today. And he cried out, and after they beat him badly, they shot him in the head and discarded him in a river. And in 1955, Mississippi officials, they wanted the body to be buried quickly. But Emmett Till's mama requested that his body be brought home. And she insisted that the casket be open at his funeral. Are you kidding me, mama? This body so badly beaten, disfigured, and decomposed, only his initials, in this signet ring that she gave him at the train station when she was saying goodbye to him. That was the only way that Emmett Till was able to be identified. And she requested that the casket be open. And that day, depending on reports that you read, historical accounts, somewhere between 50,000 and 100,000 people on an unairconditioned conditioned August day in Chicago walked by Emmett Till's casket. So many of them fainted. And we don't know if it's the unair conditioned August day or what they saw. I've got my guesses. Emmett Till's mama would write some words that I want to read to you today. Here's what she said seeking her God. I was angry at God that he had let Bo, that was her nickname for Emmett that she let Bo be kidnapped and slain so brutally. Aloud, I demanded to our God, why did you do this? Then began one of the strangest experiences of my whole life. It was just as though someone had entered the room and we were carrying on a conversation. The presence said to me, Mamie, it was ordained from the beginning of time that Emmett Lewis Till would die a death. You should be grateful to be the mother of a boy who won't be forgotten there is a job for you to do now what shall I do I ask the voice replied have courage and faith that in the end there will be redemption for the suffering of your people and you are the instrument of this purpose work unceasingly to tell the story so that the truth will arouse men's conscience and right can at last prevail the voice died away and the presence left the room history tells us that eight years on the day day after Emmett Till was murdered, Martin Luther King stood at the Lincoln Memorial and delivered the speech, I would say, of all speeches. Rosa Parks, who refused to give up her seat, she knew about Emmett Till. You know Medgar Evans did. He was murdered for the investigation of this the Freedom Riders, the Birmingham campaign, the Greensboro sit-in, all of these people were aware of the life of Emmett Till. They weren't just aware of the life, they were motivated by it. Stop for a second. From 1882 to 1968, there were Reported, just, just reported, all right? Use your imagination. Just reported 4,742 lynchings. You ready? And 99% of the perpetrators escaped any punishment. So when you and I watch George Floyd, a Breonna Taylor, or any of these deaths, it means a little differently to millions of people with darker skin color. I know you got your facts. I've got some facts. But I just gave you some facts. The justice goes into politics and politics matters because politics is about leading people. But ultimately, God loves people. But justice, all right, one more time for the people in the back. One more time for the people who are sleeping at home. Listen, justice is biblical first. And then it's political. And it's not going away and it matters. One more. Let us not get played. By the media. I'm throwing this out there. Lauren and the team are going to come up. They'll start playing music soon. But here's why I'm telling you this one. This invitation. I say it's a divine invitation. I don't have a Bible verse. But I think it's a divine invitation for you. Let us not get played by the media. And the reason I say. Don't get played by the media. Is because we so often get played by the media. Truth now more than ever is so murky remember when anybody my age you remember when the news was reported it was just the facts and now it's just the flashy stuff just the facts have been replaced with just flashy emotional evocative bullhorn whoever's got the loudest emotional evocative bullhorn and can i remind you that bullhorns are full of well you know what Let us not get played by the media. We need to be wise, and we need to be discerning. Let me give you a couple of examples. In the 2012 presidential election, the Republican nominee, the front-runner, was a man named Mitt Romney. He was running against President Obama, who was seeking a second term in office. One day, social media and the mainstream media jumped on a photo of Mitt Romney at an airport getting his shoes shined. And he was there as a man was bowing in front of him, shining his shoes. And right after that was posted, a a picture of President Obama was taken of him sitting with a janitor who had severe disabilities. And the juxtaposition was pretty clear. Here's Mitt Romney representing wealth and privilege. Here's President Obama representing humility and accessibility. But reality was Mitt Romney, I'm not being political, I'm just dropping a fact about media. Y'all get this, right? But Mitt Romney was not having his shoes shined. Mitt Romney was being examined, being checked by a TSA agent as he boarded a flight, flying coach but the photo spread like wildfire and people were drawing their conclusions about a photo and we were played the media played us some of you might have even shared that photo or liked it or commented on it we got played be be careful not have some depth have some wisdom Have some discernment before you like, share, or comment, investigate a little bit. In January of last year, 2019, there were a couple of people also photographed, there was video, video of a a young white male named Nathan Sandman. Nathan Sandman went to Covington Catholic School was wearing a red MAGA hat and was at the Washington Mall for a pro-life March for Life. And another man, Nathan Phillips, was a Native American Indian, also at the Washington Mall for an indigenous people rally. In this, I think some of you, I, I see you, I can see you, this register with you, but videos and photos were posted And the the story went like this, that the young white male was shouting and gloating and demeaning the Native Americans. And he had initiated this conflict and they had surrounded Nathan Phillips and he was trapped. He was singing and drumming, but they had surrounded him and it was a terrible, I mean, people reacted viscerally. People shared this, the social media, of course, mainstream media and Covington High School, condemned the actions of this young man but after a little bit of investigation y'all it wasn't even nuanced or complex it was very clear that a lot of this was a fabrication don't be played by the media slow down remember what we're talking about how to talk about politics without being obnoxious. slow down and don't let the media play you and a final way One other way, besides being wise and discerning and going slower, we need to also limit our exposure to media sources. There's an old saying, a quote, I like to collect quotes. A guy said this years ago, he was talking about television watching. And he says, just as it refreshes a man who is weary, so it wearies a man who is refreshed. You with me? So as it refreshes a man who wearies, so it wearies a man. How, how many of you have been, you're stressed. Uh, there's cobwebs in your cranium. You're like, you're just stressed about something and you sit down and you watch something funny or you get entertained and, you know, something real quick and it refreshed you. Like that's, that's a reality. That's, that, that can be a good gift from God. But how many of you just sat there for hours on end and just scrolled and surfed and watched and watched and watched, and you were refreshed when you sat down, but man, it made you weary. What's true of television watching is true of politics and really true of watching politics on television. As it refreshes a man who is weary, so it wearies a man who is refreshed. When I watch too much of that stuff, listen to me. And you know, you understand, to be clear what we're talking about, we're talking about expert commentary on cable political programming. We're talking about flashy graphics and over-dramatic music. And it screams at us and you get paralyzed in it. And here's what I've learned about me. I'm just going to tell you about me and you tell me if it's true of you. But when I get too much exposure to that, it drains the life out of the tree that is me. My branches wither. My fruit dies. The roots of Robert Greene need a daily drink from the streams of God. would you stand seven what I hope are divine invitations today let us learn the true test of love is how we treat those we disagree with let us treat people like people God loves and not voting blocks let us share it let us not share any political views without genuine love let us not die on hills that don't matter let us not obsess over culture wars but rather the kingdom of God let us see justice as biblical not political and because I've only got you for an hour on Sunday And you walk out of here and then you listen to everybody else. They they got you. I don't got you anymore. This is it. I I, I hope you're listening to me now. But I want to challenge you to not get played by the media. You promise me you won't. Be wise and discerning and limit your exposure. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be less obnoxious. God, I pray that you help us be more and more people formed. People more about the kingdom of God than the culture wars. And some of us get uptight with our loss of privilege and we're so afraid that they might take Christ out of Christmas, we're not even concerned that we may be taking Christ out of Christians. So help us be kingdom-minded people. Lord, our world needs a healing balm. And I pray that some would leave or tune out the TV, turn off the TV in a moment, and they would just have a breath of fresh air knowing that in following Jesus, we don't have to persuade people of opposing sides. In fact, we can walk together and learn how to treat people who are different than us. Receive our praise.